0: Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this block of teaching about how to live in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus today talks about prayer. So Matthew chapter 5, or chapter 6, verse 5, page 8, 11. As you're finding that, I just want to make one recommendation to um, Louisa. Can we get a little more water in that pool for Romania? I mean, that kid... That was a head first dive in like one inch of water. I mean, I don't know if they got a water shortage over there, but let's safety came out of me in that. (laughs) Matthew chapter six, verse five through 15. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Jesus teaching us to pray. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand And pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This morning, my goal is to help you fill out this prayer card for next week. So some of you have already gotten one. Sam mentioned it here on the announcements. But there are, just as you leave on the left-hand side, an envelope with an address here for Christ's community and then a card. And what we do have done for several years is we just have a little ceremony, for lack of a better term, kind of like communion. You come up, and you have already filled out your card. You have your card in your envelope. You've already licked the seal here, and you've addressed your envelope to yourself. So when we send it back, if you don't address it to yourself, then we just shred it it's not something that we read as a staff. We just put them in this glass jar. We remember them frequently. We pray about them, and we're just joining in prayer with you about things that you want to pray about in 2017. And so when you come up next week with your card, you'll put a little seal on it. You'll see it. It's very simple, and you'll put it in the jar, and we'll just pray together at that time. We'll be praying all week. So how many of you received a card back last last month? So uh, quite a few. So it's just interesting just to see how God has answered prayer, sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes in a totally different direction. But when we look at this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, I want it to inform us about how we would put, what we would put on the card. Does that make sense? Here we go, Jesus is saying, pray like this. And we're saying, okay, here's prayer requests. So I want his prayer to inform us on how we would shape the content of what we put in our card. And I think you can see this passage breaks up into sort of three different pieces. And if you're familiar with music, it's kind of like the prelude, and then the, the, the piece of music, and then a postlude. That's how this passage works out. There's a, a prelude, there's this sort of instruction before you pray, and then there's the prayer, that's the actual piece and then there's a tag at the end. Jesus kind of circles back around, and he wants to basically replay a line. He's already played it in the main piece, but he wants to offer this postlude. So that's how we're going to look at it. The prelude is verses 5 through 8. Then the main prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, 9 through 13. And then this concluding remark in the last two verses, 14 and 15. So the prelude here is... Two warnings. Number one, verse five, don't be like the hypocrites. I've mentioned this several sermons ago in this series. The hypocrites were actors. These were people who put on masks. These were people who put on a show. And notice it starts out, well, they love to pray. And you think, oh, gosh, I love to be around people who love to pray. But then you find out they're, they really don't love to pray. Uh, they don't really love God. What they love is. Is themselves. They love to pray so other people can see me. So it's not really prayer that I love. It's not actually even God that I love. Who I really love is tch, moi. And, and I like to be on street corners or in front of people and where oh gosh it's time to pray and look how righteous I am. So Jesus is constantly throughout the Sermon on the Mount saying, don't do your righteous acts before men hoping they're going to give you a reward. Do it in, in a way that only God can see. So we're not hungering after this human applause and approval in our prayers. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Don't live by the false narrative that my value is determined by how much applause I get from other people. So many people have that false narrative. Uh, My value goes up when the people I love think more of me. And my value goes down when the people I love don't applaud so much. And so Jesus is trying to say, let's get out of that false narrative, especially when we're praying in his Remedy for this is verse six. Let's just pray in secret. So let's not worry about anybody seeing your prayers. That doesn't mean Jesus isn't meaning there can never be a public prayer. It just means that when you're, when you're praying, a lot of your prayers is things that somebody else isn't going to see. Let's if you're if you're prone to doing stuff out in front of people hoping for their applause, let's let's not do stuff out in front of people anymore. Let's just get into our closet. Let's have a time of prayer. So all the applause, all the attention is really me and God, not other people. So that's one of his, his preludes, his warnings. The second warning is verse 7 and 8. You see it, don't be like the Gentiles. In other words, the Gentiles had a certain way of praying, which is interesting. But the way they prayed is they heaped up empty phrases they thought that if they just had so many words going in their prayer, then that got God's attention. And it's a funny Greek word here. The word empty phrases, it's called, or the word is batalegeo. It's a word that's supposed to sound like the thing it's describing. And so when you say batalegeo, that sounds like you're babbling on and on. So a lot of your translations say it won't say empty phrases Will say don't babble on. Don't batalegeo on. Don't just pile up your words. It's not like God's an auctioneer and he's going 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Can I have 50, 50, 50? Oh, 50. Paul got 50. Bingo. He gets his answer. But sometimes we have that feeling like if just the more words we say, God's sort of like this vending machine. We just keep dumping quarters in the vending machine. Surely our answer is going to come out. That's that's not at all how God operates. That's not at all how He wants have, to have a relationship with you. Like you meet the fifty word mark, or you put in enough coins, then suddenly you get the answer. That's what the the Gentiles are doing. So, we do want to do what Paul says in First Thessalonians five seventeen to pray without ceasing. But but we don't want to babble on and on. We, we, we don't want to put in extra words hoping the right prayer pops out just because of it. The remedy to babbling, verse 8. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. See, so you don't really need to babble on and on because he already knows. It's not like you're coming to prayer and God's saying, hey, I'm checking in, Paul. I, I haven't been around for a while. Can you tell me what's going on? Can you give me the Paul Phillips update on the world in Wilmington? That's not what he needs. It's not what he's looking for. Not looking for me to inform him of stuff. He already knows everything. So my question would be, well, so then why would I pray? I mean, what would be the purpose if all the things I'm going to say he already knows? And the answer is pretty simple. It's just a relationship. This is the vehicle. Prayer is the vehicle God's given us to have a relationship with himself. So we, we pray because he wants us to build our relationship with him. It, it would be kind of ridiculous if you had a friendship with me and you prayed like the Gentiles it, to, to your conversation with me. In other words, if you said, Paul, you're my friend, I need help. If I'm your friend and you come to me and say, I need help, I'm going to try to do what I can to be helpful. But it would seem ridiculous if you came and said, Paul, I need help, help. Need, help, help, Paul, my friend, help, need, I need help, Paul, can you help my need, help, help? You'd be like, that's irritating. And probably we're not friends if you do that. or it wouldn't be for very long if that's the way. If you thought somehow the more words you used in eliciting my help would get your help, I'd be like, oh, gosh, can I introduce you to David on a sabbatical? He could <laughs> help you out. But you see it seems ridiculous in this context of a friendship but see I think that's what Jesus is getting to when you're coming you're coming in a context of you have a real relationship with this person so there's no need to to posture there's no need to to babble on and on you're you're coming to somebody who's your father I I have a relationship so so that's the prelude when you when you're getting ready to prepare to pray Make sure you're not doing it for a show. Make sure you're not just going to babble on and on. So instead, he says, so pray like this, verse 9. And then he gives gives a shape of a prayer. And this is where I want you to think about your prayer card here. The The opening statement, our Father in heaven, sort of like an umbrella statement. He wants to set the tone for your prayer. You're praying to Our Father. Now a lot could be said here, but let me just mention two things. Have you ever noticed when you read through the prayer, there there are, are no singular pronouns? This isn't an individual prayer. It's a corporate prayer. Notice that? Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. See, the model intentionally moves you away from you being the center. Because he could have said, "Pray, my Father, my daily needs." My, he could have said that, but he's saying, "No, I want you to think of as I'm your Father, and you're a part of a family. It's not just you and me in the prayer closet. That you're a part of a big organization, the church. And so, when you think about your prayer card, my prayer, one of my prayers for your prayer card is that you would make your language more corporate." Not here are the top ten things that I would like to see happen this, this year for me. That's not following the model. Jesus is purposely drawing us out of ourselves into a, a family mentality. And so when you're thinking up about prayer, I'm not saying you can't have anything specific to yourself, but I'm just asking you to stretch it out a little bit. And think about what are your prayers for Christ Community Church? What are your prayers for the worldwide church? What are your prayers for Romania? What are your prayers for India? How can you you move your prayers outward into the the family of God? And then our Father. We we can all praise God that we come to him as Father and not judge. I mean, that is so awesome that we get to come and say, uh, our judge we, we're, 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 we've been transformed. We've, we've come out of the darkness and into the light. We've, we've gotten out of this dark kingdom and into this light kingdom. And therefore, we are sons and daughters of the living God. And so we come to him as our father. Paul says it in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by that spirit, we cry out. What does he say? Abba, daddy. Father, that's the kind of relationship I have with my heavenly Father. Now, I'm sorry if you don't have a great model to follow, but but let's see how Jesus thinks about his relationship with his Father. If you don't have a good model to follow, follow it's somebody who's very intimately involved with his son. He knows everything that's going on. And boy, what a challenge to every dad here that you want your kids growing up saying, "Our Father." And you want them to get a little taste of that care by your care for them. So he says, our, our father. One commentator says this, and I love this quote. Our father is what distinguishes prayer from worrying out loud. Think about that. The phrase our father is what distinguishes this prayer from worrying out loud. Because if you don't know God, you could worry out loud. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen here. I hope this, you know, you're just worrying out loud. Nothing's really going anywhere. If my daughter, Morgan, comes to me and she's anxious about something, she knows that, she certainly knows by now, I may not have the right answer. I might not have all the answers. I may not be able to do something. But what she's saying is, would you care? Would you lean in? Would you listen? Would you carry the burden even if you don't have the answer? That's the idea. I'm coming to my father who cares. Now, we have a father who can do something about these things. So you're coming in with that kind of relational connection. And a guy named Richard Buse talks about prayer in his book, Talking About Prayer. Here's this quote the muslims have some 99 different names for god creator enricher watcher avenger not one of them is father yet for the christian it is the name by which we know him best and the implications for this prayer life are enormous the person who has entered the family of god no longer regards prayer as a means of twisting the, the arm of a reluctant deity or squeezing favors out of a distant, all-powerful benefactor. And then they listen to his last line. What a distance between us in our helplessness and God in his glory. But Father reaches all the way. See, we're in this helpless estate and God's in such a glorious estate. What could bring this together? Our Father. This person who's coming after his child, saying, I'm leaning and I'm listening, I'm capable, I'm able, I'm gonna be near, I'm gonna carry you or carry your burdens or both. And so when we're writing out our prayer card, whatever you put on it, here's my encouragement. Make it the tone of a relational card. You're 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 writing to your father. You're writing to somebody who's near, somebody who cares, who's leaning in, who wants to be on your side and get things moving in in his direction and help you see that. So that's the tone. Our Father who is in heaven. Now, then the prayer breaks into two halves. It's very easy to see. The first half is preoccupied by God's glory. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So you see that very simply. The second half Turns towards us, give us daily bread, forgive us, lead us not into temptation. So it's just two, the, the prayer is two stanzas. First half of your card is the first stanza. You get through the first three requests, then you say, okay, well now I'm turning over the card, and now I'm thinking about myself. Does that make sense? This is the shape of the prayer God gives us. First, the first thing is, I, I want you to understand is the first half of the prayer is preoccupied with God's glory and God's agenda. So let me just ask you no, no show of hands. But if you spent five minutes praying today, would two and a half, the first two and a half be just about God, His glory, and His agenda? And then. Once I'm in that orbit, okay, I've got things and needs. Or would it be, oh, Heavenly Father, I need, I want, this is happening. See, the shape is helping us get a different orientation. The first half, Jesus wants us to understand, you got to be dialed in on God. Because you're not really going to see yourself, you're not going to see your circumstances until you really see me. And so that's what he's trying to get at. First, hallowed be your name. Dallas Willard writes this. Nothing will go right unless the greatness and goodness of God is adequately grasped. That's why I read Psalm 145. David's opening psalm, his song is just saying, I'm going to extol the greatness of God. I'm going to get the greatness of God in my mind first before I start thinking about myself. His name must be held in the highest possible regard. Until that is so, the human compass will always be pointing in the wrong direction. If you don't have the greatness of God at the center of who he is, then then all the other things that are important are just going to be out of tune. The the needle of your compass is just going to be spinning around instead of sort of aiming at one particular point. And, And the picture I was thinking of when I was thinking about this particular part is a, the beginning of a symphony, the warm-up of a symphony. I don't know if you've ever been to the symphony, but one of the very interesting parts of going to a symphony is about five minutes before the symphony actually starts. And what happens is you have a lot of shuffling around people trying to find their seats and get their program and all that kind of stuff. So you have all this noise, and then what's, what's happening with the symphony Well, you got the tubas and the violins and the kettle drums, and everybody's like playing these different parts. You know, and everybody, it's all this sort of chaos, but what happens? A conductor walks out. Tap, tap, tap. All eyes focused on him. Now we can begin to play the right piece. We can see what's happening. And isn't that like your prayer life? You start out with all kinds of noise, all kinds of competition for your, hey, you got five minutes to pray. You better be praying about this. And it's basically the tuba, right? Pray about this. It's this the most important thing. It's like a blaring signal. And I'm not trying to say it's not important. I'm trying to say it's not important as the greatness of God. Everything has to be oriented under his greatness. When you when you're trying to enter into prayer, you're trying to say I need the conductor in the center. Because otherwise I'm going to just be shuffling my papers, I'm going to be blowing different horns and playing different instruments that all need to be tuned to one thing, and that's the the greatness and the glory of God. So that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to say you're getting started in your prayer, Let's all tune to the conductor. Let's all understand he's walked on stage, and he's the most important thing. So your temptation might have been before this sermon to say, okay, here's my prayer card. Uh, Okay, Paul Phillips needs, wants, desires, Nancy, uh, Zachary and Sarah, uh, Morgan and Will, uh, Christ Community Church. uh, That could have been a very easy thing to do. And just fill up your card with all these different instruments playing. And Jesus is saying, I, I hear those. I want you to step back. I want you to get to the greatness of God first. And let that orient everything else around your prayer request." So I'm praying that uh, that his name would be hallowed. I'm praying that his kingdom would come. We talked about the kingdom of God is the, the effective range of his will. You remember in your history books we talked about this. You open up your history books and you have a map. It's usually of Europe and Asia. It's got some shaded area that kind of looks like an amoeba. Right? And it basically it's just saying here's the Ottoman Empire. Here's this kingdom. And and the effective rule is spread out over this Piece of geography, and what you're praying for—the kingdom of God—is is just that His effective rule would stretch out to to even further boundaries. So this morning at six fifteen, I'm sitting in the sanctuary by myself, and I'm just praying. I'm an imagining, as I pray, God, I, I've got I've got stuff in my heart that that kingdom is not stretched out across my own heart. I've got an ex- big expansive heart. And some of it wants to be in the kingdom of God, and some of it doesn't want to be in the kingdom of God. So I'm just praying, God, can you stretch your kingdom over those parts of my heart that just are always rebelling against your rule and your reign? Then I'm imagining it being stretched over this congregation, over our city, over our state, over over our nation, and then around the world. That's what gave shape to my prayer this morning. That that your rule, that your reign would just stretch out in my own heart and in my world. So you might think of this when you put the, your kingdom come down. Uh, just that, that the range of God's effective will would spread across your heart. Or universally, that, that the reign of God's kingdom would stretch out across Romania. Would stretch out across your your office building. Would stretch out across... India, whatever God would put on your heart, your will be done. The third here, and this is such a challenge, isn't it? We know it's a challenge because we can just examine the content of our own prayer. For most of us, 80% of our prayer is just about things in our own lives. So really our prayer isn't about your will being done. It's just, God, here's my will, can you bless it? Here's all the things I'd like to see happen. I've got a kingdom down here, and it needs to go this way, and I need you in on it. Now, of course, we're never going to say it that way, but you just see if if the content of your prayer is mostly about yourself, then mostly you're you're involved in your your kingdom, not His kingdom. So He's trying to trying to get us a different orientation, and secondly, that this thing about Your will be done. It's a it creates a a hard swallow. I wrote down here a sobering hesitation. And why is that? Well, we read the Bible, and our will so often isn't God's will. And so you read about Joseph in Genesis chapter fifty, and you know he's been persecuted, he's had to suffer, and he gets through his whole life full of of just injustice and he, and he says this: what you meant for evil God meant God willed for good. So when you say, "God, your will be done, it might mean." That men or women or the culture means to do you evil. And you're going to have to endure that. Or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, I mean, if there's any other way. My will is that this cup passes before me. I don't have to to take this cup. But not my will, but your will be done. Next stop, the cross. See, we, we take a hard swallow because what we want and what God wants, we know, doesn't always line up together. And that gap creates a lot of questioning, a lot of confusion. So we just need to be careful that when we say your will be done, what, what we're saying is I will obey everything you say in your word, even if I don't like it. I will accept everything you send into my life, even if I don't understand it. That's what you're saying when you say, God, your will be done. Here it is. I don't like some of it, but I'm going to live by it. Here it is. Here's my experience. And I know you're working all things together for good. So I'm going to trust that you brought even evil into my life, that it could be for your glory at some point that I may or may not see in my lifetime. And your will be done. first half of your card is about God's kingdom, God's agenda, God's glory, God's will. And you might just, when you seal it up, just say, back here on the seal, thy will be done. In other words, I've put stuff in here, but just, thy will be done. And I say that because I'm holding here, Dottie Tweeties. Now, Dottie Tweety is a Congregant member of our congregation who died this year because she had kidney failure and she didn't get a kidney in time to keep her alive. Now, I don't know what this card says. But I'm guessing it says, God, can I have a kidney? But your will be done. She's not complaining today. See, it doesn't mean you can't ask for the things and really want the things. But in the end you say, you know what, but your your will be done. Even if it's not what I would prefer, I prefer what you prefer. Second half of the prayer. This is a little easier for us because we're used to praying like this. Here are all my needs. God help me. Rescue me. Deliver me. That's a lot of my prayer time. And so here he pulls out three things. First, we need physical needs. We need daily bread. That's just we need food. We need the things that keep us alive, not wants, but needs. Some of of the early church fathers just didn't like the transition from this uh, God-exalting first half to man needs food. So people like Augustine just uh, spiritualized the request, and they said, well, it must mean like the word of God is the food. That's what they really meant. I love how John Calvin responds, this is exceedingly absurd. <laughs> Daily bread is simply praying for what you need in your physical body today. See, God made you to have a physical body, and he knows you have needs, and you should be praying for those needs. You, if you need a kidney, then pray for that. That's, you ought to have that down. This is something, in order for me to go forward today, Lord, I've got to have this thing. I've got to have this physical need. So put that on your prayer card. Secondly, notice you need, uh, you have a relational need. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This debt is sin. Sin creates a, a relational barrier, whether it's a relational barrier between you and God, or you and your friend, you and your spouse, you and your family. And I think this is really important for us to understand, especially maybe if you're a new Christian, that, who's praying for forgiveness. When, when we sin as Christians, it does not affect your legal standing before God. Everyone should say, Amen. See, this is a really small thing, but causes a tremendous amount of confusion. Because I feel like I got saved, God paid it all, but then I go home and man, I was a spiritual wreck. So I got to come back and I got to say the sinner's prayer again. Got to rededicate my life, got to get baptized again. Uh, And you, you never get out of this sort of turnstile of giving your life over to the Lord because you think your legal standing is always in jeopardy. That got paid once for all, amen and amen. Now your sin as a Christian affects your relational standing with God. You've put up a barrier that's going to make it feel like God's distant or cold or your heart's gotten cold. It's really the same thing in a relationship, is it not? I'm married. That's where that's my status. But sin in my life can create a barrier, a relational barrier, and the relationship can go cold or can get distant. And so Jesus is saying, first of all, let's just examine the sins in your own heart. What barriers are you putting up between you and God that's creating some kind of relational conflict? And you just want to write down your card. God, I this is just this sin. It's it's either besetting or it's been a part of 2016. I don't want it to be a part of 2016. It's creating this relational barrier. Would you please help me address it by the power of your Holy Spirit? Then I've got some sin that's creating distance or coldness in a relationship with my family or my friends or wherever it is. And would you help address that? It might be on your side. It might be on their side. But I, I, I want to be a forgiving person. I've created such debt. You've forgiven me. And I know somebody may have created debt in my own life, but I want to be a forgiving kind of person. So I have physical needs. I have relational needs. Finally, you have what I'm terming here ethical needs. Just Let me just say one more thing about the prayer of your relational needs. It may be that you just say, uh, there's a coldness in my family. And whether it's your sin or somebody else's, let's just not have another year go by that that's not addressed. Deliver me, don't 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 lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Again, Dallas Willard has a great comment on this. This request is not just for evasion of pain and things we don't like, which it is. It also expresses the understanding that we can't stand up to very much pressure. You see, you're just saying, God, I'm, I can't stand very much temptation. So please deliver me. It's a vote of no confidence in our own abilities. Jesus' prayer begins with a glorification of God, and it ends with the acknowledgement of the feebleness of human beings. Now listen, to appreciate this feebleness... One only has to watch how quickly people begin to attack God when bad things start happening to them. Do you hear what he's saying? I can't take that much. And because I can't take that much, when temptation comes or evil comes and I fall into it or it comes to me, what happens? I quickly blame God. So pray. Don't overestimate yourself. When I played baseball, I think I used this illustration a few years ago. When I played baseball, I was what's called an easy out. And in baseball, it's kind of a rude sport, I think, honestly. Because you got this catcher, he's talking to you the whole time. And he's informing you what he thinks of you as you're standing in the batter's box. And so, you know, once through the lineup, you realize this guy can hit, this guy's at the end of the lineup, he can't hit. And I couldn't hit. I couldn't hit. I was so afraid of getting hit by the ball, I wouldn't even get the batter's box. So, you know, I have some 10-year-olds throwing a ball at me, and I'm thinking, I don't trust him to get it over across this little plate. I'm a pretty big target. And so I'm not interested in getting hit by the ball. So when I start swinging, I'm backing up and swinging at the same time. I was miles away from the ball. I never made contact. And so the catcher is saying there, uh, easy out, easy out, the whole time. And I wanted to say, shut up. Everybody can tell. You are an easy out for some kind of sin. Maybe it's not the same as mine. But please do not overestimate your ability. And pray. Get down on your knees and pray and say, God, Don't lead me in temptation. If I get to evil, could you please deliver me from that? Because I'm not going to self-deliver. I've got to have the the work and the help of the Holy Spirit. So where is that in your life? Where are you in easy out? Put that on your card. Here's a constant temptation. Just always quick to get angry. Always anxious. Always judging, consumed by lust, materialism. See, they're all they're all in the Sermon on the Mount. Which which one of these is an easy out? Say, Lord, would, would twenty seventeen be the time that you, that you would either rescue me, or by the Holy Spirit you give me the power to stay in there and fight, fight and put something, put something to death. Finally, the the postlude. So you got the first half of the card, God's glory, the second half, things you need. But then, isn't it interesting here, verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus comes to the end of his prayer, and kind of like a typical postlude, circles back around. Now, if you if I hadn't read that and you didn't know, what would you choose God would, Jesus would circle back around to? His hallowedness, his kingdom, his rule, your need for food, rescue from temptation. Why does he circle back around to forgiveness? My answer is, I don't know. But here's what I'm guessing. Perhaps it's the one we have the most trouble with personally. God is great and his kingdom should take priority over mine. Okay. I have physical needs and I need help addressing those. Yep. Okay. Somebody's done evil to me and I should forgive them. Oh, uh Really? I mean, that person? See, I think it's a... Somehow it causes us to, 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 to lock up and say, Oh, I don't, I don't know about that because I prefer not to forgive. I, I prefer the cold war in my relationship. I prefer if you hurt me, I hurt you back. I prefer quitting on the relationship. See, I could have a lot of preferences before forgiving someone who's caused a dent Or created a debt that I have to forgive. And then Jesus makes this little commentary. If you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. And I'm like, hmm, this doesn't sound right. It sort of sounds like I get in the kingdom if I forgive other people. And if I don't, I don't get in the kingdom. And I would say that's not true. It's not true because we know from the rest of the scriptures we don't earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But I would say what Jesus means to say here for us to understand one indicator that we truly understand Jesus' grace to forgive us is our willingness to forgive other people. It's a fruit of, that we understand the root of our salvation. And if you cannot forgive other people, then you need to go back and examine the root and say, do you really understand your sinfulness and the forgiveness God has given you? It's a signal to us that maybe we need to reexamine our own relationship with God. So here's the prayer card. Now, you can put lots more things on it, but I'm just trying to give shape to it. So when you take the prayer card home this week, read back through the Sermon on the Mountain. Just think, okay, front half, how am I thinking about God's glory, God's kingdom, God's will? Second half, what are things that I need? What are, what are intersections that I have that I would hope God would, would help me with or do something in my life in some way? Got that? You come back, you have it all sealed up, and then we'll have the little ceremony next week. Let's pray together. Lord, um, it's it's really hard for us to get outside of ourselves uh, to, 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 to not be consumed by a name or an event in our prayers like myself or something happening in my future. And to to step aside and just see you and your greatness and glory. And then allow everything to sort of wrap around that. And you're so kind to help us. I mean, the disciples were so far off the mark. And you said, okay, guys, let's do it. Let's do it like this. And you've come to your disciples here in 2017 here in Wilmington at Christ Community Church and say, okay, those who are struggling to pray, pray like this. Those who are struggling with the content of their prayer, pray like this. So, so may our minds be shaped by your prayer. Then, then may our ways and our walking be shaped by your greatness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.